This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and it is Eugene McFadden here um, in the slot they've given me, as usual. Got me pretty much amateur, hour and a half. Uh, normally, we are talking about autistic type things, but today it's going to be I Can't Believe You're a Teacher, aka the best of the Twitter beefs of the last year. We're going to be looking back at a selection of pointless arguments about how best to teach kids and everyone's egos. Ooh. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Yeah, I'm going to start that now. Um, so, yeah, so joining me today are two vaguely normal people, or more normal than mutual guests. Sorry, Heather. Sorry, G. Uh, Daniel Bundred and Jasmine Lane, uh, who may in fact be together or not together. I understand Jasmine is nipped out to buy some kind of arti- arti- artisanal, art- artisanal, some kind of face cream. Anyway. Um, but yeah, while they are, they are both pretty amazing and they are both, yeah, they're more normal than normal guests, but they do both because they're so amazing, sit a little bit off the baseline. I think Daniel's into the studio. If he's going to click now on join us for conversation, he has done that. Invite. Daniel, are you there? Hello, Eugene. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yeah, pretty good. I have um, done some dumb things today, but that's pretty standard for a Saturday. So I'm now lying in bed with a cup of tea and a laptop and a radio show. So that's, you know, that's good. How is how how are you doing today? Uh so I've um I got up quite late today. Uh I've just been doing some marking because we're currently on our round of PPEs, something that Jasmine's helped me out with. Um uh, as you say, Jasmine um is less often round my neck of the woods than she used to be. But evidently, there is a product that can only be bought um, on the north end of Shoreditch Park uh, that she, you know, has actually had to go out and buy. So she will be, uh, she should be here um, already, actually. Uh, Uh, I'm expecting her very, very soon. What is this product? I mean, I'm like, it's nothing to do with a radio show, but I'm now like morbidly interested. Is it? Um, so it's some kind of olive oil face soap. Uh, I'm sure Jasmine will be able to tell you more about it. But evidently it is, um, you know, in the way that one gets trapped into hipsterdom, it is the anchor that holds her to um, uh, the De Beauvoir Whole Foods on um, Southgate Road. All oh, right. Okay. That sounds like really expensive stuff, that which I would have no idea about at all. You know, I'm sure it's not uh, too expensive. They're, um, uh, you know, it's not a cosmetic. It is a soap. I imagine it's more expensive. I have absolutely no idea about this. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's our local grocery store. But you sort of know where I live, and our local grocery store is not necessarily what a local grocery store would be to a lot of people. Yeah, it's not like the Londis in Leesden, for instance. 
No. Yes, I haven't. Um, I haven't seen a Londis in many, many months. I'm sure not. I'm sure not. Okay, so last time you were on with me, we discussed um, how to make a sixth form truly academic and how to turn your sixth form kids into like alpha predators, apex predators, apex predators, yeah, apex predators amongst the other, you know, weak sixth forms, um, which we oddly enough got no complaints about. Um, so I think today we're probably going to get some complaints as we're going to talk about things kind of relevant to teaching. We're going to talk about uh, Twitter arguments, Twitter beefs, and that amazing phrase that's been thrown at me a few times of, I can't believe you're a teacher, or I can't believe you're a Senko, which, you know, yep. such is life. But So for those of you uh, who don't know about this kind of thing, there is Twitter, and on Twitter, people make seemingly innocuous comments about teaching or about pupils or about something, at which point someone will pipe up start an argument and at some point will say i cannot believe that you're a teacher or i cannot believe or the amazing phrase you shouldn't be working with kids which is a bit bit extreme just a bit um i really like it when they threaten to um contact your employer yeah i mean it's like you know other people you get you get blocked and reported but you're a teacher blocked reported i'm going to contact your employer and it's just a bit like wow yeah you know um as though and i think these people really do consider themselves school allies um and they do have a vision that teaching is important so i don't know why they want to use up the time of my head teacher so endlessly with you know adjudicating fights on twitter well they think well because again people people think twitter is real world when in fact mm-hmm. It isn't, but you know, you get sucked into things, don't you? Be a very disturbing real world if the real world was anything like Twitter. Yes, I mean, you know, Elon Musk would be like the most powerful man in the world. Ah, uh, and I believe um, that's his plan on Mars. Is that a plan on Mars? That is, that's quite a good plan. I can see him. Yeah. Oh, is that a door opening? Uh, yes. Is that Jasmine? See, if we timed it better. We have like a kind of like some canned laughter now, a round of applause, like an American sitcom. Yes, unfortunately, it's not actually Jasmine entering my flat. Is um, it, the it was me opening a door. Sorry. Oh, I thought it was a Fonz coming in then, but no. Mm. Ah, well. Ah, so when was the last time someone threatened you with, um, well, someone said to you, I can't believe you're a teacher? Uh, it was a few weeks ago. Um, and it was it was a really interesting one. It conti- um, uh, so it was on the question of who is and isn't a teacher. Um, oh, that one. Yes, yeah that that was a notable Twitter beef. The you know the ontological question of teacherdom. Um, I, I, I particularly liked the uh, um, the threats in that case with um, you know. Uh, we're going to find your employer and tell your employer. It's like, my employer knows that I consider myself a teacher. <laughs> they employ me as such. <laughs> yeah, people just don't quite get that one, do they? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember that one. I mean, I could see both points of view on that one. Um, and I'm a bit undecided. But I think contacting your employer to tell, you, to tell your employer that you think you're a teacher and teachers should teach was yes. a bit out there. And te- yeah, te- teachers are those who are employed by a school to teach. 
yeah. um, which is a view I have to say that is shared by my employer. Your employer sounds very heretical, or possibly <laughs> yes. extreme. Must be a trad employer. Who knows? Yes, a, 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 an employer with a desire to staff a school with uh, teachers, with people who are teachers. Yes. Yes, <laughs> but they also mm-hmm. decided to have kids taught in a school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, just such complete <laughs> madness. Um, we also got uh, the famous, uh, well, to be fair, Macintosh against. <laughs> Just about everyone at some point or another. Um, I think her most recent one was Macintosh versus Hitchens, which was preceded by Macintosh versus Hitchens, which was preceded by Macintosh versus Hitchens. Um, but I think the most recent one of that I actually got involved in as well. Um, and Peter Hitchens told me I hadn't actually read his article, and I had, and then he wouldn't believe me and refused to respond to me. But there we go. Um, yes, the idea that, you know, having read his article, you can also then go on to disagree with the article. Yes. Which is for, for a man whose sort of conception of the world is as limited as Peter Hitchens, that does follow logically. Yeah, I mean, he was like, you haven't read the article. I, was like, I have read the article. I've literally spent an illusionary £10 to join the Daily Mail for a day to read the article to then deactivate the account uh, and just burn the entire email account as well, um, just so I could argue on Twitter because it was quite a slow day. Um, and he just couldn't get the idea that he was wrong, which, you know. And then all those little kind of minion people turned up and started going, are you a teacher? What do I want you to teach in my school? And it's like, well, okay, fine, cool. My, my favourite one is people who don't have kids at all. Um, uh, one of the... Um, so. Obviously, recently, um, it was asked how I could possibly be a teacher because of my belief that teachers teach. Um, But years ago, probably the first thing that I tweeted that got very, very big um, was my criticism of Michael Rosen. And and it it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very severe criticism. I do like Michael Rosen. Um, uh, He was a lecturer in the uh, university I did my teacher training in. Um, I think that he has absolutely inspired loads of kids to read. Uh, I simply said that children's literature was, you know, not significant in the world of literature. Not only did I get loads of people um, demanding that I be fired for this heretical belief um, and, you know, saying that I couldn't possibly be a teacher, I got people who seemed to think that I had been their teacher in the 1980s. Uh, People who were in school long before I was born, um, but who had such a grudge against their own teacher that they would continually meet it out on all teachers for all eternity to be damned not only as their teacher, but for generations of teachers hence. Which, when you say it out loud like that, is a bit extreme. Mad. Um, Well, maybe mad. I mean, you use that word. I didn't use it. Um, I'm sure the the time that the Teach Talk Radio lawyers are listening right now with a, a slight twitchiness, just in case we say anything off piste again. Um, I'm wondering if we're going to get to that point whereby they we release it, it gets edited to basically me going, "Hi, Teach Talk Radio. I'm joined by," and then it's the outro, um, which actually is kind of actually be quite a cool thing to have happen. 
that's a kind of life well it wasn't um you know i wasn't the person who got you in trouble last time it was jasmine lane who is now back in the flat oh excellent jasmine are you there i'm here excellent how are you i'm good i just um came back from the shop i had my artisanal olive oil soap that i can only find about you know three blocks from here i also got um some expensive cheese and some weird biscuit sort of thing so whenever you're ready to eat daniel we can that'd be fantastic a snack to tide us over till dinner oh that sounds amazing what are you two going to do for dinner uh, we're going to a local restaurant, um, Burberry Q, under the railway arches uh, by Haggerston Station. Uh, it's quite a small place um, and very popular, which meant that uh, we needed a reservation, but our reservation is really late. Ooh. Um, I'm going to have an omelette for so, dinner. Yeah we, yeah, we needed a snack to tide us over. Um, we haven't had lunch. I... As I said, um, when we joined, I'd only just got up. Oh, I've, I've never laid in that. Well, now that I've got young kids, wake me up quite early in the morning. And annoyingly, we've got chickens. Not annoyingly, but we bought chickens when they were quite small. Bought five of them. Three of them are roosters. Ooh. Yeah. Do they crow synchronously or asynchronously? Uh, no, there's only one of them that crows, and he crows really loudly. Um, and he came out today really irritated at me because he basically let him out. I let him out late. And it's quite funny. My partner goes out to let him out late. He basically chases her. Um, but if he, he came out running towards me, stopped, almost like comically skidded before me and then backed off. And I was like, ha. He didn't want go. to take you in a fight. He didn't. And the other one he's scared of is daughter number three, who keeps picking him up by the neck. So possibly that's an issue. But, you know, daughter number three is a little kind of, I love her, but she's a little thug. Maybe that's why I love her so much. I don't know. So, Jasmine, you've got your artisanal soap. Yep. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just sitting in the, the guest room just laughing at the synchronous roostering one, but then also just like my daughter just keeps picking it up by the neck. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got like, uh, my three daughters are all very, very different. And daughter number three is like a barbarian she's got my muscle tone she's incredibly strong and just doesn't take rubbish from fools which i really like and that's how i've raised her to be but when i came back and you guys were talking about were you on the who counts as a teacher um spat that happened over we the course were. of months yes yeah the, the, the one that followed on from the campaign for evidence-informed teaching and the education <laughs> alliance spat <laughs> you mean Teal, the group that's called the same name as uh, a multi-academy multi trust. Yeah. <laughs> they did oh. rename that um, fairly quickly after the CEO of multi-academy trust pointed that out. But it was something that you know, actual classroom. If they were actual, no, yeah, yeah. If they we were actual classroom teachers, schools, they wouldn't have done that exactly. So it's like this just proves that you guys aren't teachers because none of us would have done that. I've only been in the UK for a year, and even I know that Teal exists. Yeah, the, the, the total, you know, we're educators, but we don't actually have any current knowledge of schools, is a... Uh, and so, what is the point of you, then? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting thing, though. Like, if, you, if you're... I don't know if you guys are following at all, um, but, like, the... 
the Lucy Calkins debate over like whether or not to teach phonics in the States, like she and people that also make money from selling um, programs that don't teach children to read, they all wrote an, wrote an article basically telling um, a journalist like, we are educators and we care about children reading. This is like, none of you guys are teachers and you all make money from selling this shit. Um, probably doesn't teach kids to read, but then actual classroom teachers responded and it was like 650 actual chalk-based teachers were like, hey, we think your programs are horrible too. It's not just a journalist thing. Um, so uh, that, you know, that, what what's said on on the ground basically, that kind of makes it, not, not everyone that's a chalk-based teacher is going to agree, but we all are aware of each other's points. So like something like, I don't know, the, the teal thing was just interesting. I'm like, you're just saying what they said, except you just didn't feel included because you're not a teacher, which is the point. No. My, uh, I sort of, um, th one of the things I really loved in that letter was the description of um, not only them as educators, but as literary giants. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, literary, yeah. <laughs> literary, literary greats. Literary greats. Four of them have written, you know, children's books, that, and, you know, obviously <laughs> ch children's fiction, which got me into trouble with Michael Rosen. It isn't really uh, the bulk of my reading material, but absolutely people I've never heard of. People I've never heard of, people I've never seen my students reading. My thing is people that make money from selling those programs. That's like, my, you know, put my Marxist lens on. That's the first thing I see. I'm like, oh, why are you, why do you want this program in school so bad? Oh, because you rake in millions and millions of dollars a year. Millions and millions and millions. Yeah, they seem like primary reading programs always sound like they must be really overpriced. Because I can't see how you could get that rich from selling something, you know, the whole world, whole world's reading strategies are just really obvious. I can't see why you'd need training in not teaching children how to read. I can yeah, it's not even it's, how to read right now and I've had no training. There's loads yeah, of it's, it's, teachers who can't teach children to read. Um, yeah, because it's not, a, it's, not, it's not a normal part of your training. It's just like no. you expect, all right, they've learned how to read in primary school and now I can teach them my subject. And I'm like, mate, they still have to be able, they have to know how to read in your subject because reading geog geographically Sorry, reading historically is different than reading in literature. It's just different. Yeah. Geographically? Yeah, and it's where you get the complexity where we're way beyond phonics. Although, of course, there are, you know, elements, um, you know, any secondary school, any, uh, you know, truly mainstream secondary school, true comprehensive, will have some students who never picked up phonics as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They just school. need more time. Yeah. yeah. And we have, um, oh, Jasmine, we should really do a uh, one of these on like reading in secondary school, like good reading strategies and good like systems. Um, sure, I can do that. I wasn't yeah. able to. Oops, never mind. I was just going to say something um, about my my current employer, so never mind. Um, no. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I, I mean, yeah, because I've got a really good system at my place now, um, which is at least I don't know thirty percent, twenty five percent. Is stuff I've stolen from you. Um, oh, well, look at that. See, someone realizes that I'm valuable. Oh, you're like, <laughs> you are invaluable. <laughs> and you can try to leave me that because I'm not very good at doing two layers of conversation. So, you know. Um, so, when was the last time someone said to you, Jasmine, I can't believe you're a teacher? Um, Probably when I, oh my God, when I said um, 
the reason with I don't like trauma informed and like you have to sometimes you have to think about the good the greater good. Yeah. Um I was like sometimes you just need to exclude a few kids because they just can't cope. And it's about the other nine hundred and ninety nine. Um and I got that was basically it. It was like I can't believe like a teacher would say something like this. Well teach I mean teaching the mainstream is leading the mainstream is about economics. It is about and that's you know, we are in yeah, it's it's utilitarianism. That's what I yeah. said. And then people someone said like they they invoked like the Equality Act and I'm like, What are you talking about? That has nothing to do at all with what I've just said. So like yeah, that was I'm really surprised that you weren't there wasn't a question raised as to are you even a teacher about your um belief that you should teach children a uh, poetic form before uh Asking them how they feel <laughs> about poetry. <laughs> I always find most of the "Are you a teacher?" questions come from your stated belief that you should teach children things. <laughs> certainly, that's my personal experience. Yeah, I've seen that a few times. Um, but yeah, so I did it. You know, we're teaching these kids these things. Are you a teacher? But I did your blog, Jasmine, about um, what was it? Your blog about um, just teach, just telling them facts. Tell just them tell them the things. Tell them the things they need to know. <laughs> yeah. And I was expecting more pushback from that, but it's so true. It's like, I'm not going to play. There like... has been pushback, but not directly. There's been like someone has been commissioned to write a blog on something about beauty of poetry or something. And I'm like, look, all of that is good and well. Not every kid cares. And also, what are you actually teaching them to appreciate poetry? That's not what we do. That's not what the study of literature is. It's not appreciation. It's not a book club. No. I mean, I've got book clubs for that, but if they're in exactly, the it's different. Yeah, they are learning a particular like set of knowledge to apply uh, in exam context. Sorry, yeah. that's what I'm judging. Uh, and the the appreciation analogies that are always made is, you know, you do need to know art history in order to go into a art gallery. Do you, you know, do you need to know a musician's work in order to enjoy a concert by them? It is fine in any of those analogies if you leave having learned nothing. It is not fine in our jobs if you leave having learned nothing. It's like, I, I had a fun lesson. Did you learn anything? I really appreciated the book. Did you learn anything? <laughs> no. no, someone, um, <laughs> someone was saying... That our job is not to entertain them. It is not about their enjoyment. It is about their learning, which is a reasonably concrete, accessible notion. Apart from back in the dark days when it was about entertaining them, but let's never talk about those days again. No, there was one woman. I mean, the thing is, like, I I say what I say, and then they're like, "Well, don't you think about this?" And I was like, "No, I don't. I did think about that, and this is why I don't care about it. Like, I'm quite to the point now, um, to the matter of fact." But one woman, she was like, "Well, even if you fail, I think it's about the experience of failing. Like, makes you want to do it more. Like, no, that's what one woman. I'm like, I'm like, no, it doesn't. It makes you want to stop because you don't like failing." She's like, we have to teach no, them that the, not everything is about winning. failing in English is uh, the experience of, look, you want to do it more, you have to. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. I'm like, who, what are you on? Like, who who says, you know, she's like, I'm not very good at ballet, but I keep doing it because it's about the experience. I'm like, I would hate to do that and to feel like a failure and suck at something every day. I think most I, people feel. And that damage, that's what damages kids at school is those kids that come to school and they struggle because they're not being taught in the correct way. Maybe the classroom's not set up for them. Maybe it's too chaotic, whatever. Maybe they've not been taught phonics properly. Who knows? 
and like day after day they see other kids getting it they don't get it and that's damaging that's that's like yeah that's, that's what i said damaging. like in my blog i was like you tell them that one english isn't for you you just can't get it and you cannot enjoy literature because you just can't welcome into the gates of englishdom that's what they're saying i'm like no it's yeah. not a guessing game there are things that i can tell you and then you can practice them or I can I can ask you questions and you can apply it. And then when you see it somewhere else, then you apply it there. Like that's how you get better at English isn't just by having a knack for it. And that's that's the problem that I think a lot of teachers, they've never actually failed at anything before. Yeah. Um, and so they don't know, like it actually is not fun to fail and to feel stupid. And that's when I was first doing physics at, at uni. Um, that was actually the first time that I ever failed at anything. I was just like, I'm working really hard and I'm just not getting it, and I don't know why. And I just, I, I, I mean, I did pass the class, but I basically, it was a pity pass is what I call it, um, because I went and tried to get help. He basically was like, I'll just give you the credit, but I did not pass that class. And I hate, like, I, I like physics, but I don't wanna ever go near another physics class again. I love the idea of science, and I'm like, that class made me hate it because I just felt so stupid. And that's what I always think of, I'm like, what can I do to make sure that they don't feel stupid, that they can actually see, okay, I saw why I got it wrong and now I need to do this. Like, yeah. It's, it's... Yeah. And, and if you, you know, if you teach them before you assess them, it's one of the, um, the conversations we had uh, in our last um, radio show. If you teach them before you assess them, you create something in which they can experience success quite early yes. and the experience of success is self-reinforcing you know having done quite well it allows them to do better and better and better if you reverse that and you start by assessing them which an astonishing number of sick forms do they assess very early having not taught them the content properly that they're assessing them on your immediate response as a student is that your association with the subject is with failure and realistically at gcse we have to assess and they're going to be assessed if you haven't taught them their association is going to be that of failure um and even those questions uh how do you feel about something students experience that as a form of assessment they are looking for an answer they don't believe because nowhere is it true that all its answers are equally valid. And if they don't have a particular feeling about that, they failed the assessment. Yeah, thinking like, you know, I've seen some schemes where it will be like, you know, do you think this is a good example of the poem? Why or why not? Or like, what do you like about the poem? And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? An example because of the poem. They're, they're how, how much poems, do, how many poems do they know? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but also I'm just like, they are expecting like, well, I mean, I just, I, don't, I think poetry's dead is like, I'm like, is that like a wrong answer? Like, you know what I mean? Just like, how, what am I actually assessing with that? And it's kind of not, I'm just, I'm asking their opinion, which ultimately doesn't really, it's, it's not bad. It's like, it doesn't, for what I'm going to be assessing them on, it doesn't matter if they think it's good or not. They just need to yeah. know it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, time It's the English language question. How does the right structure of this text do interest you as a reader? It is not acceptable for any student to answer that the writer does not interest me as a reader. The text never interests me as a reader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, it's just, yeah you, you have to fake an emotional response. And there's no point in that. There's no point in asking for that emotional response. 
that that's the kind of thing you put on, if you put it on um, uh, Twitter, they'll get you cancelled. Yeah, right there, that, what, what, should, what should I tweet? I could now. What do I need to tweet? Uh, Daniel says that there's no point having emotional responses to literature in a lesson in teaching. There's no point. In... Oh, yeah, there's no point asking them about their emotional response if they don't have an emotional response, and it's fine not to have an emotional response. It is fine for them to not actually think English is the subject that really, really, truly engages and inspires them and makes them passionate. I hope there is a subject in school, but realistically, there is a one in 10 chance that the subject you teach is the child's favorite subject. Assuming all of your colleagues are equally competent across your school, they're equally good, they're equally engaging, there is a one in 10 chance that this is the subject that they truly love above all others. Yeah, I just so I don't think that that's why a are we reasonable... building our curriculum as though that's true. Yeah, it's just it's not a reasonable. It's not that's that's not the word. Like that's not something you can really measure. Like it's in not. time, like I created the most people that love reading. Like how can you measure that? That could be lying. Like, to I you. you know I I read like when I was quite young, and then I stopped reading in like middle school and high school, so I got busy. And then even when I started my English degree, I wasn't reading outside of my classes because I was reading for my course. And I really didn't start picking up reading again until I was, I don't know, 20, when I was basically done with school. So I was like 24, 25. And I'm like, so they did create a love of reading, I guess, but it doesn't seem like that was their actual goal because they wouldn't have been able to measure it because it didn't happen until eight years after I finished their course. Yeah, the, the love wasn't manifested there and then. Um, and I sort of think that there are kinds of ways where you could measure um, uh, engagement and joy. I'm always interested in how many teachers on Twitter will say that um, uh, GCSE English is killing the love of the subject. Because our experience is that, you know, A-level take-up is a nice metric and our A-level take-up is greater than that um, in our subject of our surrounding schools and massively in excess of most of the schools I talk to. Certainly all of the schools that are saying that it is the assessment that kills the subject. Um, is, it, is it a failure of assessment that kills the subject? I think that's more likely to be correct. Um, and the sense of not actually knowing what to do in the subject. Because there is something quite nice, sort of quite zen-like about having something where you can enter a flow state because you really know what it is that you're doing rather yeah. than this, um, this experience of sort of cliff faces of emotive um, uh, and empathic register that you're not necessarily going to get. I think, yeah. That's a really good point, actually. I think, looking at my own teaching, I'm really good at sticking kids in flow states because I always break things down and I teach English like a PE teacher. But I don't think we talk enough about how important flow state is for teaching, which is us completely off topic and not at all talking about getting banned from Twitter, but quite interesting in that kind of like way. Um, hmm, That's a good point. We should probably do the news now as well. That's probably a good point to do the news and like do some like uh, random tweets linked to this. So I'm going to press the news button and that gives us approximately. This show is brought to you. I don't know, an amount of time. I can't tell how long it is. I reckon five minutes. 
grab a cup of tea. Okay. You can grab some like cheese and biscuits, maybe some wine, um, and go from there. Wine's already here. Cool. Okay. Of course, wine's already there. Uh, so, sorry, we're picking up each other. If you grab the white from the fridge and uh, brilliant, I'll also put a coffee on. Cool. I will. Um, I'm gonna press play now. Partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit JohnCatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the workload of educational psychologists in Gateshead, who say they are overwhelmed as the number of children needing special educational help has risen by 117% in eight years. This has placed a strain on SEND services in the area, but the load has been especially large for EPs. Deborah Mason, Service Manager for SEND in Gateshead, said that there had been a wait for some people to complete their doctorate, although assistant ed psychs have been used to enhance the team. This report comes shortly after the Secretary of State for Education in England, Gillian Keegan, sent a message to the education and care sector about SEND reform. In the message, Ms Keegan said she believed that pupils and students should always be able to get a high quality education and receive the right support. She acknowledged the challenges of a complex system, but said that her department wanted to take time to listen to children and parents, as well as those in the system, before publishing a response to the SEND and Alternative Provision Green Paper. An improvement plan would be published in the new year, she added. Part of the plan would include investing £21 million into training 400 more educational psychologists. For young people in areas like Gateshead, this funding can't come soon enough. The BBC News website reports on claims that the University of Derby has suspended a student for taking her baby into lectures. The female student is halfway through a degree and a tutor had agreed to her taking her son to lectures as a short-term measure but this was later overruled. As the student was breastfeeding, she felt she had no option to continue, but was suspended two weeks ago. The student believes she has been discriminated against because she has a baby, but stated she had never allowed her son to disrupt the learning of others. A university spokesman said areas were available on campus for those who needed to breastfeed, but that taking a baby or child into lectures was not allowed for health and safety reasons. Meanwhile, Ulster University has defended itself against claims that it plans to open a campus in Qatar 
and that will have a negative impact on LGBTQ rights. The university is due to open the campus in Doha in January next year. Speaking on BBC Radio Ulster, Anna McCulloch, chair of the LGBT Society on the university's Colrain campus, said she is worried that the university is putting financial gain over a community within their community and that it will damage the establishment's reputation. A spokesman for the university said, Ulster University believes that education is a route for societal growth and that many UK universities had partnerships with countries across the Middle East. In Wales, the government has announced free Welsh lessons will be extended to the entire education workforce, including non-teaching staff. Alongside this, a new framework for Welsh in English medium schools has been published, underlining how the Welsh language is integral to the new curriculum for Wales. A sabbatical course is also available for teachers to learn or improve their Welsh. Minister for Education and Welsh Language Jeremy Miles said, We want everyone to enjoy using the Welsh language. We are ambitious for our language and I am pleased to be able to extend the offer of free Welsh lessons to all school staff. Finally, in a week that saw the release of Department for Education statistics, which show a 20% drop in those entering the teaching profession, many media outlets comment on the possible impact on young people. The number of entrants to initial teacher training fell from 36,159 to 28,999 between 2021 and 22 and the 2022 to 23 training years. The government attributed the fall to the reduced number of new entrants and an increase in the target. But critics pointed out that the government's recruitment targets for secondary school teacher training has been missed in nine out of the last 10 years. A DfE spokesperson said, For teacher trainees in 2023, bursaries and scholarships in key subjects will be available, and we remain committed to raising the starting salary to £30,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you get a bargain on Black Friday? This week I'm going to talk about deals. First, a little bit of history. Tom will be proud of me. Reading up on Wikipedia and seriously condensing what I found, the term Black Friday refers to the Friday after Thanksgiving when the Christmas shopping season starts. Supposedly, it started in the 1950s. Recently, it marked a time of serious bargains, riots and fighting for unbelievable deals. However, are you getting a bargain or are you just led to believe it? Seeing as last Friday was Black Friday, which began last Monday, and next week will still be Black Friday, or for some stores Cyber Monday or Cyber Week, when you get the best deals online, how do you know a price drop is actually a deal? Well, the short answer is you don't. I have a couple of pointers here that may help you, but the underlying advice is buyer beware. If I go with the best-known online retailer, when using Amazon, there's a nifty little price-tracking website called Camel Camel Camel. This will show you the price data for a product over the time it's been advertised. You can see when it was more expensive and less expensive. If you're on your phone, where most shopping takes place, hit the share icon found next to the product image, go to Camel 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 and paste it into the search box. You can even sign up to email alerts for price drops and add target discount alerts if you're not in a desperate hurry for an item. The next trick is to simply do a web search for the product. You may find it cheaper in a large supermarket store, and although you may need to go and collect it to save on postage, it may be worth the journey. There's also hundreds of coupon and price comparison sites where you may be able to find further discounts. The only caveat being the time you spend researching may actually outweigh the saving you make. I return to my initial warning. 
buyer beware. I hope you get a deal leading up to the holiday season. As always, I'd love to hear your favourite shopping online tips. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Well, that's it. Oh, look, we're back. We're back into the... Uh, we're back away from the, the Two Minute Tech and the news and everything else. And I've realised that I have no idea who the Education Secretary actually is. Spot quiz, Daniel and Jasmine. Who is our Education Secretary? I forgot. Um, it's not Justin Greening, is it? It's um, um, uh, Gillian Keegan. Gillian Keegan. Yeah, who's she? Who is she? The most recent Education Secretary. I don't know. <laughs> I sort of lose track of them. You just yeah. sort of, you, you hear that there's a new one and then... There's a new one after that. Yeah, it's like a bus. She's only, only been like there rubbish. since the 25th of October, so it's just been over a month. That's quite long now. In the that's kind of that's kind of a long thing. service. Is, yeah. Who was, who was the one we had who was there for a couple of days? I uh, don't know. She was the one that um, refused the to accept the... Uh, basically, she was going to get like a lifetime benefit from like having served in government and then she was like i refuse i'm just gonna donate it that one yeah like, yeah the, um, yeah so yeah. the severance package um she donated to charity that's the word um, severance yeah. was that liz truss was yeah. she doing that no it was uh it no. was either <laughs> liz truss's government i think um i'm trying to think who if anyone in the uh in the responses could um tell us yeah again like this is my memory of this and it's one of those things you remember things that are important to you um was it no was it not kit malthouse um the deems of harwi maybe since gavin in fact yeah the, no, the it wasn't Harley him was the last he wasn't the last one Michelle, Michelle Donnellan was the one who served for two days. So since Gavin Williamson, who I think we do all remember because he served for uh, about two years, there's been the, the teams of Howie, Michelle Donnellan, James Cleverley, Kit Morehouse and Gillian Keegan. I forgot about James Cleverley. I forgot about him completely. Yeah, no. The, he, um, he was actually appointed. Whatever the opposite of... Yeah, whatever the opposite of nominative determinism is, is James Cleverley. Ooh. Nominative non-determinism, mm -hmm. something like that. Nominative um, opposition. Nominative opposition, maybe. Yeah. Um, so nominative, nominative discongruity, incongruity. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I'm gonna steal that one uh, and use it when I'm teaching. So we're meant to be talking about like Twitter briefs, but we've actually ended up talking about actually teaching. Um, we could talk uh, about a Twitter beef and talk about that because. There was one thing where Daniel said that um, London was better than everywhere else. Um, oh. in terms of its <laughs> but, but that 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 was savage. <laughs> that one where he went um, everywhere else exists to serve us, and I was like, oh, that makes London sound like a vampire or some kind of evil lord. Like, but at the same time, London schools are better than like. Schools elsewhere oh. in the country. That's true. Can we not say that? It's a fact. <laughs> it, 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 it is something that is quantifiable 
tweet it, you will get cancelled. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tweet it right now. I'm going to tweet it right now. Where's my um? Who's going to tweet it first? Um, I've already done it. Have you already I've done already it? done it. <laughs> you done it? Yeah, it wasn't just you, Eugene, Eugene. So I'm going to what what it now. was is, I Sorry. said that I found Progress Eight and League Tables useful, and I said that. I mean, even if like yeah, players, players deserve to know than everyone else. <laughs> I'm like, but it was like parents deserve to know how their school is doing. It's the same thing when I was in the states, and it's just like, is my kid reading? And teachers will just lie and say yes. Yeah. Like you need to know, like this is the value add that my school adds is nothing or negative. And it's just like, okay, if you are negative, then what are you doing to change that? Or what can I expect? I don't think it's, yeah. Even necessarily that teachers are lying. I think they genuinely believe this. And what progress eight does is it tells you whether their beliefs are correct. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't mean teachers here lying. I do mean the fact they will literally just say, like, you know, the test is telling me that they can't read, but like I, I really know your child. That they're they're okay. They're making progress. They're, they're literally just lying. They really are lying. Um I, I don't know that. No, I, 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 I like Progress 8 and I like Alps. I like all of these quote um quantitative tools because they tell me whether what I am doing is working, whether we are on the right track, whether our beliefs about ourselves are matched with the reality of ourselves. I agree. And I think that, I mean, Progress 8 is the most effective score, I think. It's not a perfect score, but it's the best score. And London schools do better on Progress 8. And we can talk about all the money in London more if you want to. Um, but, you know, we're looking at the last set of GCSE results, which were real GCSE results, you know. And let's be honest, the rest of the country did worse than London. That's a fact. I think there what, were some places so. outside of London that did do better than some schools in London. I will say that, um, but, but it's average. Yeah. far. It's it's average. Yeah, I'll buy average. Median, so yeah, average. To be honest, the even the median. Did, yeah, b- yeah, bits of the Midlands did really well. So of the top ten schools, um, you've got three that run by Star Academies, um, and one Heartlands, um, which is also in Birmingham. So that kind and of and then the other ones in London. Really yeah, the top ten. The rest are in London. Yeah. But then you're looking at, again, city, like schools in large cities do yeah, better. Yeah, that's than the schools. thing. There, there's yeah, jobs absolutely. in the city, so people go to the city, so therefore there's more money because there's people. But that's how it works. It there's is, also yeah. something that Robert Pondicio said um, when I said, when we were talking about success academies, which is that New York can run a charter chain like success academies where they have really bright teachers who they burn out quite quickly. Because New York has so many graduates, there's always a supply of fresh teachers. Well, Birmingham has four universities. London has uncountable numbers of universities. The same kind of thing can work in London and Birmingham. Um, And it really can't work if you don't have that continual supply of an educated workforce who who might not necessarily view teaching as a job for life, but will do it for a time very enthusiastically and work very hard at it. Yeah, I think that's a, an, a, an untalked about thing in, in education is, you know, large cities have more disposable staff who are very eager. Um, and, and it's one of the things that in terms of really successful schools, composition of workforce is a really interesting thing to, um, to talk about. My experience looking at the really, really top performing schools, um, uh, and I've haven't been able to visit Michaela. Um, I mean, uh, we, we, we all agree that we all agree Michaela is the reason why London's really doing so well. 
Yeah, without Michaela, none of us would have any idea of what to do, actually. She, she, that school led the way, not any of the art schools or, you know, Dixon's or, um... It's interesting. Michaela went to um, Art King Solomon Academy, another London school, uh, basically with a sheet of tracing paper. And that is the Michaela model. It already existed. King Solomon were doing it. Globe were doing it. But also schools like Mossbourne were doing it. Um, you know, uh, and that kind of thing was spread out around London and local to me as well. You know, I, I live in Hackney. So we've got Mossbourne. We've got City Academy Hackney, which um, uh, last time I looked was seventh highest in the country. Um We've got a bunch of those schools that are really outperforming, doing very much the same sort of things. But one of the things they do rely on is a staff team who are typically really quite young. And yeah. can, they're young. They're, I can't remember who it was who said about King Solomon Academy a while ago. Um, uh, what she seemed to observe was that none of the teachers um, had families in fact, none of them were actually in relationships. That's a bit that's a bit worrying, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit worrying, but it I don't know, I don't know if worrying is the word. I think it just it's at that point in your career, if you're going to work in this type of school, then therefore it means these sort of yeah. things. Or if that's 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 the, the give and the pull. Um, I don't know if it's worrying to say like, oh, I'm not in a relationship, therefore it's like maybe just like you don't feel like spending the time doing it because it does take time. You just want to devote the time to your career. Um, so oh. I, think I, th I think it's very interesting that the um, you know founders of Mark Earth Arc uh, were Marshall and Weiss hedge fund managers, um, at, or, or big fund managers, and the description of how Arc, you know the very young, very hardworking staff team who are burnt out quite early. Um, and I don't know whether this is true across, obviously, ARC's grown over the years. Um, and I know one of the things that's changed about ARC is they can no longer be as ARC as they were in their foundational years. No longer ARC. They can't they, burn and yeah, turn anymore this, yeah. in the same way. Yeah, yeah but th this is the way that, you know, top banks have always worked. This is, you know... And law firms. Yeah, and law firms, absolutely. You take the best graduates um you pay them a huge amount which obviously we can't do in education and then you just assume that you're going to be cutting them in half every year until three years on you've got a quarter of your original starting staff um but they're ready to be moved on into management and they're also like slightly damaged um yeah from like quite from... damaged and then they'll inflict that damage on the new generation of staff the um you know yeah, uh, that kind that kind of thing with consultants talking to junior doctors as though the way they're working is just a sort of form of hazing that you need to ex endure. I endured it too. That's the path to being a true doctor. Yeah, there are yeah some things about some top performing schools that can be like that. Um, when I said worrying earlier on, it was just that kind of like to be a top performing school. Do you need to have basically young staff who haven't got lives? I don't think because like, you, not necessarily. It depends what your systems are like and how much of a time yeah. suck they are. Because if you just have stuff that wastes time, 
Um, you know, yeah. it's just like, I'm going to enter in 50,000 logs today for things that didn't actually get followed up. Like that kind of thing is right, what that, kind of grinds If nothing's followed yeah. up, you'll never be a top performing yes. school. Um, yeah. And we, and we yeah. had this conversation last night, which is that when we look at schools that, um, that are top performing, the thing they all have in common actually is really good behavior. Yes. Um, I think they don't mm -hmm. necessarily have a certain amount of teaching proficiency or certainly subject knowledge. Um, we've all talked about, um, and I'm not going to name schools here, but we've all talked about schools that are very high performing that we've been into and we've talked with them. And we've been slightly under impressed by how much their teachers know about actually know. They teach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and English, I don't know whether it's true of other subjects, it's probably worse in other subjects. There are an awful lot of English teachers who really don't know a huge amount about literature. Yeah, I'm um, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you, you, you could do very well in some of the country's top performing schools. I probably can because I'm a very large male with a loud voice. Um, and you're very good on behaviour. I mean, yes, you, you wouldn't see your wife and kids ever again, but... Well, that's why I moved uh, down If, to if you're willing to make that sacrifice... Mm, I'm not anymore. I used to be. I used yeah. to make the sacrifice we, we quite happily. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I, I will say, I think it depends what your priorities are. If you're someone who your priority is to like raise a family and then probably a school where you do need to work a bit longer to get stuff done isn't this kind of school for you. But it's, it's always about the, it's about, I said this, I mean, I think when I first met you, Daniel, or when we first became friends and it was like, what charter schools do in the States is basically things are better for students because they're so bad for staff. Um, like that's, that's kind of, it's just like the better that they get for staff, the worse that I, at least I felt like basically I had a really easy job when I worked in a regular school in the States. I left at three every day. I had like, you know, two hours of PPA a day. Like I did nothing. Um, but I made a lot of money and the kids didn't learn anything. That was the downfall was I had a really, easy teaching life but the kids didn't learn anything and so it's like you have to it's you can't have a hundred percent of both you do have to oh. like knowing that i'm going to put a bit more time into this because it will be better for the kids so it means that i'll be i'll have less of this like that's that's how it has to work because it is about it's about people it's teachers and kids it's not just empty vessels in a chair like you know it's 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 the socialization aspect and, and, and you and you yeah. need to strike a balance there um i've certainly you know obviously um uh, a school in London um, that's just been uh, brought in or is currently being brought into a multi-academy trust um, after the departure of their head teacher um, was a really high-performing school. Every single person knew that their head teacher was a bully. Um, and that oh, was that the one that's being in the news that we can't mention? I mean, if we say their no. name, that's the one that's been in the news, like in Schools Week loads and on Twitter loads. But if you mention it, they'll probably like beep it out. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, can you do the initials of it, happened. or is it? It's the one near. Beep. beep. Oh, there we go. I can't say it. Yeah. It, 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 it. It is towards the west of the city. Let's just say that. Um, what, like in Islington? Well, obviously, you know, there are, there are Islington schools um, where the head teachers are always interesting to discuss. But, um, 
But obviously, we're thinking uh, about uh, a school in, say, I don't know, Holloway, maybe. I don't know. Ooh, yes. Uh, yeah, one of the H's, definitely. Possibly so. Uh, yeah. Hackney. Uh, no. Sorry, I'll, I'll stop now. I'll stop now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that the environment there and you know there's a, another london school whose sick form is very famous um, and again has this um uh, this reputation uh, amongst teachers in terms of the way the head teacher treats staff and it's an extremely negative reputation uh, those schools i wonder about their long-term sustainability and obviously the first school we mentioned has already come unstuck um because you do actually need some people in a school who've been round the block a bit, who aren't yeah. the sort of naive, very the foundation. working. Um, yeah. Um, and the problem with those people is they've all heard of these schools and they've all heard of them. They might get endless accolades in the press. They might get to the sort of, you know, the top of the league tables. But we really know we don't want to work for them. Um, and I'm in a school that's, you know, that was founded in 1957 as one of the sort of first model comprehensives. It's been running forever and it's just always been quite good. So our latest progress eight is uh, plus 0.59, I think. Um, Cornwall schools would kill for that progress eight. Yeah. Um, we're on the London fringe, so it's, you know, for us, it puts us as the um, the highest performing non-selective in our area, um, uh, and we're also in terms of raw results, we outperform the selective schools um, at A level. But there are a huge number of our teachers, um, certainly in my department, they all came from the really famous big brand schools when they burnt out. Hmm. I think that's what happens. Yeah, they, they all came from the They leave teaching the or they school. stay in teaching and go to a school that's a bit more normal, basically. Yeah. But they're yeah, very, they're very good. That's relaxed. the thing. They're very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. But again, yeah, that's the trade off. Um, and, and you're and not going to have we, perfect we behavior where they just, where they, you know, they don't even turn their head. You're not, you're not going to have the perfect behavior. Um, and the progress rate isn't going to be as high as it could be if you were to do the other things. But it's like, that's the trade-off. I'd rather have a little bit more of a relaxed environment so that I can continue teaching for a longer amount of time. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're not going to deliver progress eights of over plus one um, anytime soon uh, or possibly anytime ever. But we are going to allow you to see your family and as a result, this has always been the deal. And as a result, our school continues to survive and continues to thrive. Um, and a lot of schools that have burnt very bright haven't actually burnt that long. No. And then you get the question of, are the kids in those schools actually happy? Which is very much as we discussed before. I'm teaching them facts. I'm not teaching them to be happy. There is a wider question about attendance and kids who perhaps don't fit the box, and I was one of those kids, and I'm definitely one of those adults, and definitely one of those teachers. Um, are they happy at that school? You know, it's difficult to know. I think it probably suits. Um, you know, there are certain types of kids who it will really suit. Yeah. And again, and the school gives the impression of success um, continually, 
and you know the kids i've you know, uh obviously the school with the best progress eight right now is michaela um i used to teach out in west london um i encountered michaela kids an awful lot in the local community they did seem very happy um they were thrilled to be working that hard with this continual vision of success um, and some of the other local schools their kids felt substantially less happy partly because they existed in this world in which Michaela was the school that really believed in their kids and they felt that their school didn't have that level of belief I think but that's because I think what Michaela does really really well is it believes in its kids 100% and I think sometimes from the outside I've seen some quite strict schools or schools in Cornwall who try to import things from London and they've stopped they believing in their kids warm. they're not warm yeah. They don't get, they get yeah, the strict. Absolutely. absolutely. It, it, it is the warm, strict balance yeah. that, you know, obviously Michaela can do really well. Lots yeah. of schools can do it really well. Um, but, uh, and the most successful schools do strike that balance well. Yeah. But I've certainly, I know of schools where you just sort of look at them and you think, you don't really seem to like your kids that much. Yeah. And I think that's really sad. You know, I love teaching, I love teaching the kids. Um, I'm really, really strict, but the kids like my lessons because everything's calm, everything's you, ordered. Yeah, and because you like being there. Yeah, as well. There, there is no substitute for the enthusiasm of a teacher. Yeah, and actually being good with small people who aren't fully formed yet. Um, although I did see on Twitter, getting back to Twitter today, someone said um, warm strict leads to county lines. And I was like, Ooh, that is a massive, that massive leap. Baffling. Yeah, and I was I, like... I, I'm not even sure that's a leap. I don't understand where the direction that is. That's a total non sequitur. It is. I was like, oh, I want to get involved in this, but I've got to go and spend two hours moving manure for my community garden. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, absolutely. Uh, and in terms of uh, shoveling shit, um, that very much is a, uh, is a tweak that will do that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, warm strict leads to county lines. Yeah, it was effectively the nature of the tweet. I'm gonna, I might have to dig it up um, and comment on it now. I've got more brain space, but I want to just leave the house and. I'm not sure I could ever have enough brain space in order to understand where, how that logic worked. Um, no, because I think if you get warm strict was that, right. Was that tweeted by Edgy Twit Discourse Bot? No, it wasn't. It was an actual like person. I get a presumer person. Um, it feels like a made-up education tweet. Something so I will, utterly irrational. I'm going to dig it out and stick it on a secret badger chat for you. Um, oh, thank you. So, yeah. There is, by the way, everyone, a secret badger chat um, because we got moaned at too much. People said, I can't believe you're teachers. You're too weird. So we've um, retreated. <laughs> Yeah, um, we were we were retreated, retweeted, whatever to um, DMs and a WhatsApp group now. Um, yeah, now obviously, um, well, it's sort of all died down, hasn't it? Um, yeah. the Badger conspiracy. Uh, but there Although was we did a start... time after that where there was this thing about well, they now have a secret Twitter group. Um, yeah, the sort of DMs. 
as being this sort of shadowy force within education. Yeah, well, well, we do amongst those who were, you know, um, apparently Tory astroturfers. So yeah, we're we're Tory astroturfers who get people jobs and do stuff like that in the background. Absolutely, we're you know um, a sort of hidden mechanism of power within education funded by the Conservative Party. It, it's really weird. I've been in so many Tory AstroTurf groups. Um, and, you know, they've never paid me. Oh, Listen, if, if, if someone you... wants to give me money to just tweet the things that I tweet anyway, I will, I honestly will take the money. Um, but me too. Me too. For, for full parity, no one is paying me to tweet the things that I say. I just tweet them because I'm, I'm yeah, I'm very happy being paid by the government. Um, it, I'm willing to provide PPE that doesn't work. That's not a problem. Um, you know, uh, laptops that are full of Russian malware and don't have functioning sound cards. I can do all of that. Um, just give me the money. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe you're a teacher saying these things. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know. I, would, I mean, just just pay me to talk about. Well, I, I, again. I can't believe I'm a teacher because I've noticed that I'm very badly paid. Ah. but you do have a jag, so maybe you're not badly paid. Maybe it's all this, this secret afterturfing you're doing. Ah, always the thing about multi academy trust um, heads and uh, sort of multi academy trust teams and their jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Well, I um, do not have that car. I actually can't drive in this country, so. Can you? But you do have, like, artisanal uh, soap made by, like... Uh, <laughs> I do, yes. Blind Tibetan nuns or something. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can drive in the States. I can actually drive, like, a two-story house because of the, the amount of pounds or tons or whatever that I can drive. Um, but I'm not licensed to drive in this it's something oh. like 30 gross tons. It, it, I know it's the weight of a light tank that um, Jasmine's driving license qualifies her to drive. Whereas, obviously, we have, you know, 16 subcategories on our driving license. Yeah, basically, we can drive. With my normal license, I could qualify to be like an HGV driver. I could just go and take a Way more money. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it that way. Yeah, Jasmine um, not only doesn't need to do the minibus training, she doesn't need, she's qualified to drive the school minibus towing the school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, like, just like, get your license, basically everything except for, like even like driving a, like a city bus, you get like six months of training for that. But just with a regular license, you can apply to do that. And then you're driving a bus in the middle of the city. Like it's, it's a lot more less, a lot more people die um, probably as a result of the lax rules, but much more opportunity to, um, you know, climb back. Get money. Yeah. Maybe America, the land of opportunity and random death. <laughs> Does America have any rules? Yes. Um, yeah, you're not allowed Kinder eggs or cheese. Speaking of, just that cheese is really nice, Daniel, if you want to just put some of that on the, on the crostini. Oh, I really want some red wine now. I'm trying to think to myself, would it be a bad idea? Oh, yeah, no, I can... yeah, it's out on the side. I am. Um... Yeah, have a glass of uh, wine, we're, Eugene. We're, we're actually drinking. We're actually drinking white at the moment. I keep thinking it's a muscadet, but it's not, is it? It's not. It's, it's nice, isn't it? It goes with the cheese. and it's a longer dock. Um, Jasmine got it. It's really, really good. Um, and you know, one of those. 
French whites with quite a bit of body that um, I think would actually go quite well with cheese. Ooh, it does go well. Yeah. Um, what cheese is okay. it? Um, um, it's some. No, it's um, it's a cheese from the, the shop that I got with the olive oil soap from. Um, it's just like a soft cheese from from Bath. Yeah, it is. Back. It is from Bath. It's from the uh, Bath Cheese <laughs> Company. Ooh, I've heard of them. They're quite nice. Um, it looks good. It's um, it, it's out on the uh, on the side at the moment. It's sweating a little bit. Um, that looks like uh, a proper cheese. Know, a, 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 a one cheese cheese board. That looks like quite a good one. Oh, nice. <laughs> Um, oh, can we talk about the trauma-informed thing that's been going around oh Twitter? Oh, God, I can't Oh, stand. yes, 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 can yes. Because that's a big stat. I can't that believe you're one. a teacher. <laughs> oh. Okay, go on, Jasmine. You're like, I mean, I've got my own opinion about trauma-informed stuff, which is basically, well, mine basically, well, the most effective treatment for, for support for trauma-informed kids is really clear. Boundaries and rules and, and clear. And rules. And everyone good else, safeguarding. Really well. yeah, good safeguarding. And actually, if everyone else is behaving well because you've got good, clear behavior systems and behavior support, and the kids will fit and a good teacher in front of them, they will feel held in the classroom and then they'll have yep. success and feel better about themselves and they'll be less anxious. So, basically, a well run, run school is good for trauma, traumatized kids, and there are traumatized kids, but the idea how much yeah but you don't you don't shift best practice because of no. that knowledge the no. knowledge isn't helpful in because the best practice is always going to be the best practice yeah when i was um working in special schools and i was working at the extreme end like SCMH, whatever i wouldn't uh -huh. really i wouldn't read a kid's background and i was like running behavior in a mental health unit and i wouldn't read a kid's background because i was like i can't have the empathy with them I wouldn't have had it anyway, but you know, I need to basically be the firm rock they cling to or break against, and be consistent. Mm -hmm. um, and they they yeah. like me for that you've because used that metaphor before it's a very good metaphor. It is a good metaphor because mm -hmm. you've got to be that firm rock. Um, and I, you know, some of them had hideous, hideous backgrounds, but they liked my teaching because I was always the same. I was consistent. Yep. I was warm. They knew what to expect from you. That's yeah. trauma-informed, is being exactly the same. Every day. Absolutely. Every day. You know, Each the time. Be best thing for coming from chaos is having predictability. Yes. Yep. Seriously. Okay. Really no, this wasn't the one. I said, I said, we can't let the behavior of a few disrupt the many. That's what I said the last time. And then people are like, you need relationships. And I said, no, you can't run a school on relationships. That no, got you a can't. lot of stuff. Our, our supply teachers. Supply yeah. teachers are the, the, the you know... How supply teachers do in your school, that's if you've got behavior cracked or not. You know? and, and even, I think, I think Captain Burbleson said this. She was like, even when they have, if they have a, a supply that's there a little bit longer, even they start to struggle a bit because the kids are just like, I don't know who you are. You're not doing the things that everyone else does. So it just, it cracks the system a bit. But yeah. even then, it's just like, it's the consistency. When you don't do the consistency, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> That creates more trauma. Yeah. Um, why do you think people are so arguey about trauma-informed stuff? Um, I think it comes from, well, one, because when you see, like, the more, I'm not going to call it trad behavior because that just sounds stupid, but the more be, uh, be, uh, prescriptive ones, 
where it's like you do this, you get a sanction, you do this, you get a merit. They feel like it's it's um quite like transactional and doesn't feel like person forward. All um, relationships so think- transactional. As an autistic person who sees everything in very much like relationships or economy, they are transactional. All relationships are transactional. You yeah, might I mean that's, budget, that's what but- I think. But I think yeah. people, when they're thinking about behavior, they, they don't want to see it that way because it doesn't feel like, well, I'm a person, they're a person, I have to see them as a person first. And it's like, not in a school of 2,000 kids. You can't. But even like... What is going to work for most kids? Most yeah. people. Yeah, this is it, the most. And you can't, you can have like, and if everything's working really well for the most, you can have case law on the edges. Exactly. Then you look and see, okay, what are the exceptions? And yeah. why is it this partic- in this particular way for this one? No, I said um, realistically, like, in a school of means leadership thousand, for the whole school. You all have a tiny handful of those exceptions. Yeah, it shouldn't be many. The it should be a majority couple. of kids. Um, you know, they get on board. Can be fully included within yeah. a pretty simple, robust, um, explicit set of. Uh, yeah. They need to know what to expect. We will tell them. When we say don't shout out, it means when your teacher asks a question, you keep your hands down and they're going to call on one of you. And when they call on you, then you can answer. That's yeah. knowing. That's trauma informed. I'm not just, I'm, you will be called on sometimes. Your teacher will ask you to respond in this way. You don't know when it happens, but if your teacher's going to do it, they might let you know that day. Like that's, that's the trauma informed. It's the unpredictability, it's the instability, it's the chaos, it's the, 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 the threat of violence is actually the trauma. And so schools that implement trauma-informed practice seem to be creating more trauma by allowing so many kids to just find all the loopholes. That's the issue. Well, yeah. But, you know, you try and run a school in relationships and you end up all relationships breaking down apart from... Yeah, because you can't. I, I, yeah. I, I, I can't have an individual relationship with a thousand kids. I can't. No. No, um, I can't. <laughs> and like you know, the Asbo Asbo's great phrase: "You end up effective teachers in those kind of schools are warlords in failed states." That's what they are. You know. Yeah, the thing is, like, you become. Um, I've had to do this in a, a previous school, but it's just like you become the kind of person that you actually don't you, like. You to, are the you don't become the kind. Yes. Yes. And I've been, I've it's been just that, like, you can't actually be a person. It's just like stop. Put your hand down. No. That's how you have yeah. to be because you can't show any kind of leeway because with any leeway, they pounce on it because that's what kids do. Yeah. One of the I'm probably going to get piled on for that. At, at individual kids are like velociraptors. Have built their own behavior. Yeah, the velociraptors. <laughs> <laughs> that's old school yeah. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Raptorgate, one of the first great Twitter beefs. I remember that. I, t- I changed because I'm, I'm me. I changed my profile to a raptor. teacher anymore. No, he's not. No. No. What were you going to say before I jumped on with Raptorgate? Before I test the defense? What did you say? Yeah. You going to say? No, I said, if, if, if or when SLT become preoccupied with trying to do the best for one child, it can often be the case that they neglect or ignore the other thousand children they're responsible for. Yes. In a school of so many, you have to practice utilitarianism. Yeah. No, yeah. And uh, people got really upset about that. Perfectly logical. People yeah, got people, really upset about you know, that. It, when they when they're in leadership, they're just useless leaders, aren't they? Because um, you end up with a school with absolutely no systems where no one knows what to do. Um, at, at, while the head teacher 
is spending hours in their office with three naughty students over hot chocolate, asking them uh, how their teachers have been mean to them. It's those schools are totally dysfunctional. Yeah, and I've I've seen a lot of them. I've you know, I've seen head teachers who are really really nice and absolutely believe in the individual child, but they can't deal with all of them. So run a you school? end up with this tiny set of edge cases while the school is not being run at all. You know, if you want to do that, work in a prue. There are places in which that ratio is better, you know, more conducive for that practice. But the ratios in secondary are not, in mainstream, they're not conducive for it. So you can't really do that practice unless you're going to, you're happy neglecting the rest of the kids. You're happy neglecting the bulk of the kids. I'm not. But ironically, I think there's a failure of empathy to see the rest of the kids. You see the kids in front of you, those, those three naughty kids with hot chocolate. Mm -hmm. you, what about you, the rest of them? Yeah. The other, you know, again, utilitarianism, you know, greatest good for the greatest number. Um, That's all. Because what I think about is I was the kid who I wanted to learn. My behavior was fine. Like, if the school cared about me, then I was the majority of the kids. And I was one of the exceptional ones. Like, I, I'll just accept that now, whatever. But most kids are just like, they just want to do well. They want to do the right thing. Worry about them, because that's the majority. And then if the other kids, if they can't get in line, then you have to find somewhere else for them. Because this school is for the majority of kids who want to do well, whose parents support them. And that's most kids. I do believe that. The majority of parents that I've always talked to, they want, even if they don't know how to help their kid, they want, they to. want the kids to do well. Yeah, yeah, no one, no, no parent wasted says like, oh, like I, I mean, again, majority. There might be some. I have met, I have met some in my. I have too. I am at the, it's the, it's yeah, not yeah. the majority, but even no, close to it, it's it's a tiny handful. But most of them want their yeah, kids to do well. They want to support them. They want to support you as a school to help their kid. And when you don't do that, when that's the majority, then you just let them. You just say like, I don't care about you. That's what that says. And I look like, well, you don't care about the three kids. I mean, maybe them not being in that school is the right thing for them. That's caring about them too. I think yeah. one of the problems is that, like, at least down here in Cornwall, exterior services is like it's just like it's it's a complete like it's like an apocalyptic wasteland now, um, because so many it's, everything's been cut back to the bone, and then they saw the bone off. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I have a colleague that works in a Peru and they don't even have a building. They kind of just go to a library sometimes that, and hope that it has a room. Um, wow. So like that is a problem. But again, also the other 997 kids, that's the thing. You yeah. keep those kids that really can't function in a mainstream school. They just destroy the culture and it destroys the whole school. Yeah. And I've seen it's that. A difficult, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult choice, but you have to make it. And we need to fight for our colleagues in Peru's in alternative provision um, to get Absolutely. the resources to yeah. have, you know, to have proper sites because they are a really valuable and important part of the system for those kids who we can't support. Pretending yeah. that we can yep. support them is letting down the nine hundred ninety-seven and letting down the three. Um, yep. Uh, well said. I am um, here. Yeah, here. Back to that. Um, yeah, back to that 
thing about the the bulk of the kids, the bulk of the kids really not wanting that minority of the kids to disrupt their lesson. Yeah. I tweeted um, uh, about 4am a thread on implementation of behaviour policy. I thought that was an amazing thread, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, one of the things... Just saying that, I did uh, help him in it, sort of, not really. I was there. As well. she, she, she was present, present but uninvolved. Um, uh, but one of the things that a few people have responded to that is, um, you know, uh, you should also consult the kids. Why aren't you consulting the kids? The thing is, I know what happens when you consult the kids on behaviour policies. And what happens is they all want the kids... The majority of kids want the behaviour policies to be much harsher than yes. schools end up creating them as. Yes, um, totally. You, you, you've, yeah, you've got 90% of kids who would happily expel 10% of the school population. Yeah, totally. And, um, I've, and I've, been in, I've been in those kind of meetings with the kids doing behaviour policy stuff, and one of the, quote, naughty kids was going, you need to be strict on me. You need to be strict on me. You've got to, you've got to be so much harder on me so I can get away with it. And I was like... Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I um, I remember. Well, it's it, it, an interesting amount of self awareness to know one's lack of self regulation. Yeah, <laughs> and like I had these naughty kids wanting to be in my class because they were like, "Yeah, but you can control us." So okay, fine. And these kind of kids got ported into my class, and I had all these kind of like kids who who would not behave around the rest of the school come in and get on with it in my class. You were the behaviour set. Um, I was well, yeah, and I have made a career at teaching behaviour sets effectively, um, in a really kind of like calm, steady, firm, warm, occasionally boiling hot when I got irritated, you know way. I mean, the thing is, but, even even if you're a strict teacher, if you're really doing the trauma things, it's like I know he's strict, therefore I know I can't get away with this. Yeah, I think again, this is just me. I think people like structure. They like knowing what to expect, even if they're not like a kid that has trauma. Like just knowing when I show up to work, this is going to happen. This, 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 and this. Like it's just it's a human thing to know what. It's nice. It's less stressful. uh, I always back when we were, you know, um, our primary job was to entertain the kids. Oh Um, god, dark days. Yeah. Do Do you remember how many lessons were based on the concept of surprises? So you'd do a do now, uh, well, uh, do now, a starter, a bell task of guess what's in the box and you'd shake and rattle the box. And in some way this was relevant to English teaching. Can't remember the connection now. Um, But it was the, every lesson had to be constantly premised on the unknowable. Yeah. Um, And it was really interesting. Uh, Working, I was in a. I was doing my PGCE um, at the time, and I was placed in this completely dysfunctional, totally chaotic school run by people who were incredibly stupid. Um, <laughs> and I, don't hold back, Daniel. Don't hold back. This, uh, yeah, yeah. In this um, piece of uh, training on dealing with students with ASD and supporting them within the school. Um, and it was like, we have a lot of students with ASD in this school. And it was like, are you aware that every part of that training completely contradicts everything the school believes is best practice in designing lessons? Was that the school that you went to that was near where I grew up? 
yes, well, um, uh, the school that I worked in that was near when you grew up was actually near where you grew up, I think, was my last school. Um, uh, and that was, yeah, that was the school that was near. Is this the school that was near Michaela? Yes, in, in the same Which, borough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, this, they, these aren't the same schools. The school that I had a PGCE placement in um, was a school uh, south of the river. Ah, okay. Because I, I um, did one of my PGC placements in a really dysfunctional school. And again, similar thing. And it, it just broke me. And I stopped. I dropped out of a placement. Um, which I think, uh, looking back now, knowing that I'm autistic, a lot of it was just a kind of complete cognitive dissonance of like, teach this way. In a way, it's really ineffective. And behavior is chaotic. But, you know, that whole kind of thing. Of really like, ineffective. Behavior is chaotic. And it's entirely random. It's surprise yeah. mechanics through your lessons. Yeah. Yeah, um, I will yeah. say when I was doing my um, my placement in well, we did you do middle school and high school, um, so it was Key Stage oh, three actually, and then Key Stage one. Sorry to interrupt you, Jasmine. What? Before oh, I forget, Daniel. does anyone remember the plenary generator? That rings a vague bell. Oh my god! So it yeah. <laughs> At the end of a lesson, towards the end of a lesson, you decide on your last activity <laughs> in that lesson. Running a PowerPoint that cycled through a thousand frames a second. It was like a slot machine. And then you'd hit space <laughs> and it would give you the last task of the lesson. That sounds that actually stress-inducing. Oh my god. I saw that all the time. Oh my god! So my my normal rest and heart rate is fifty four. I'm just taking my beat now, and just you discussing that uh, has put my heart up to seventy. <laughs> that that's the damage. It's, it's just... the feeling of adrenaline with the gamble of what will happen next to your lesson. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just actually like you know, um, someone who doesn't like change. Um, just the, the idea that, of that is just absolutely rest increase my heart rate significantly from like from fifty four to seventy. It's like, you know, mm. I, can be I, can, I can be like wrestling and my heart rate won't get that high. Oh. You have a really Sorry, slow heart. That yeah. sounds wrong. No, I'm just very, very fit. No, I mean, it was funny. Yeah. Um, Almost a dead. fit thing to have a heartbeat of 54? Yeah. It is fit to have a lower heartbeat, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, mine's not high. Mine's like, mine was just normal and average. A 54 sounds like your heart's not beating at all. You do realise that we're talking to someone who is a cross between um, a piece of Greek sculpture and a Tom of Finland for him. <laughs> He's not actually entirely alive. <laughs> you are talking to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Unless stuff is painted on the wall. Um, but yeah. no, I was just saying, like, I, I always think about um, when I was doing my, my placement um, for middle school, with year nines, and then my, my uh, advisor, she said, like, Basically, she thought my lessons were boring um, and you just spice them up. But then she also said, she was like, I know that for a kid like my son who's autistic, he would absolutely love your classroom because he knows exactly what to do. He knows what's coming. He knows like there isn't like a bunch of group work where he has to try to like whatever. And she was like, that is a perfect environment for him. So like, it's not for me. It's boring, but it's fine. She's like, but it's absolutely perfect for him. And so I think I about that a lot. Lessons, I think, but it's the lesson I'd want my son to have is a really yeah. piece of feedback. That is, that's mental feedback. 
But the thing is, I think about that, and it's just like, I think about the kids who... ...sending your child to the school you work in, and if not, something needs to be in your school. You had something, I'm really happy sending my child to your classroom, however something needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. She was basically, she was just like, you know, vary it a bit because it's not a, it's not only a classroom of autistic kids. What she's, what she was saying, but, but she was like, that absolutely is perfect for him. And I think about that, like when I think about my instruction, I'm like, okay, the kids who absolutely need certain things, can I put that at the center and have that be the pinpoint so that they will be successful in my lesson? If you think of them as like your target, the kids that maybe struggle to read, the kids that struggle with writing, the, those kids. Like, if you put in the supports to help them, it actually helps everyone else, too. Especially you, if you have mixed ability. You should be a Senko. I would be very good at it, but I do I like... I think you'd um, be amazing like, at it. Yeah. I think you uh, would. I think um, there's a lot of paperwork, but I think in terms of actually the whole... The most important thing for a Senko is to have control of teaching learning in school or have a lot of input into it. Because yeah. re- really, really teach... I mean, you know... That, I hate that phrase, quality first teaching. But basically, yeah, what's best? What does quality practice? first teaching mean again? <laughs> Remember that yeah. one? That yeah. is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to say Yeah, we've got a lot of trouble for that argument. All of the spectrums here are the big ones. I'm, just, I'm noticing. Fighting this phrase. <laughs> what is quality second teaching? What's quality last teaching? What is low quality first teaching? I don't know. Um, low quality. <laughs> low quality first. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, I just don't like that phrase because it doesn't mean anything. Again, as someone who's like, what does that mean? Basically, a good Senko should have lots of input into teaching and learning because if everyone's getting taught really well by good, well-trained, knowledgeable teachers who are getting the kids and making necessary adjustments, that's your great progress eight. Boom, right there. Yeah. Yep. You know? And I, also, think, I think I would be good at doing Senko. In the States, it's an entirely different um, qualification, so I was never going to do it. But it's, I think it's... It is yeah. a traditional qualification here, I believe. It um, is, yeah. It's on na- top na- of the teaching qualification. Yeah, it's now oh, Senko. I'm going to pay for that. They are going to change it uh, as part of the green paper, because right now it's a NAS Senko qualification, but they are going to change mm-hmm. it into one of those um, MPQs. Oh, I'll do that uh, then. It's the NPQs. We're acquiring a lot of NPQs these days, aren't yeah. we? I've seen yeah. another couple of them that sort of feel like they're already covered by the existing NPQs. And I'm feeling real FOMO that I don't have a single NPQ. Um, yeah, I think my next one, I was going to do leading literacy, but then I looked at the course and I was like, I know all of this already. So it'll be NPQ SL to senior leadership. Um, I would, like the one that nice. I do. I, I, yeah, I was considering NPQLT. Um, and one of the people I spoke to um, about it said, you know, one of the things you'll have to prepare for is that you will know all of this course already. But I, I have the same feel that it might be a useful badge in one's career. I yes. Know. Yeah. I think. I mean, and it, I mean, I remember getting onto the fast track for teaching and doing all these leadership things, and it was like useful badges, and then. The Nasenko, I knew it all, but it's a hoop I have legally obliged to get through. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no one's legally obliged to do any of the NPQs. They've just no, exist. But I think I, you actually, will be legally obliged to the NPQ Senko. legally required. Um, okay. Well, if some school pays me to do it, I'll do it. But I also want to be like 
half TNL or something. Like I don't just want to do send. That's not where no. my heart is. Yeah, but they're, they're, think... obviously they're no longer schools aren't being charged for it. Um, no. However, my school is a bit skeptical, and I think quite rightly so. Um, has been a bit skeptical because of the idea of loads of people doing NPQs that don't actually add any value for the school. Um, and you know, there is a reasonable question uh, that could be asked in that why would I be doing NPQLT as I already lead teachers without complaint? Um, for your career development, so you can like have a badge. I think actually... For, for, for my career development, which isn't of use to the school no. um, and would be of use to me personally outside that. And there is, you know, what you're doing it on basically is directed time, the bulk of it. So... I sort of yeah, feel if I was senior leadership, my question would be, yeah, why would I want you to do this mm. bit of self-improvement that adds no value to us, but think, takes away capacity from us to use you? I think part of me That's as a leader would be going, get me, yeah, yeah, you get cancelled. But I think as a leader, I'd be like, do it anyway, because it's just, you may learn something you can apply to us, but then I'm quite like yeah. that. It's quite... I like learning for the sake of learning. Right. I agree. Like, I teachers. Well, yeah. I, well, yeah. I agree. I think that, you know, the thing that I'd really like to see is funded master sabbaticals. Yes. Oh, man. Give you, me you, my master's in literature. Yeah. Oh. I've got one of those. Same here. Master's in Shakespeare study, KCL. Absolutely desperate for it. Um, when I say, you know, the problem with a lot of English teachers, I don't know a huge amount of English, and it's true across the whole thing. It's not that they're unenthusiastic in general about the subject. It's that our education was sort of curtailed too quickly. Yes. And now our knowledge is really inflexible. It's very much like, you know, encyclopedic knowledge is, of 15 poems and for some reason an inspector calls and there's no there's no contextual framework um or there's a bit of one that someone vaguely remembers from five ten years ago whenever they did their degree um that sort of fits these slightly random, slightly arbitrary four texts in the canon, and they just become the canon. And I think the canon is not out being of canon. Able, Yeah, being able to step away from teaching for a bit and look at your subject again would be really invaluable to teachers' personal development. And yeah. while we're spending all of this time doing NPQs that basically are, some of them as far as I can see, are the course materials that are edu twitter itself you know the, the, the discourse we're all engaged in just to you know t teach us the discourse we already do um why don't we actually take some time away and talk about our subject discipline and talk about actually the what of what we're teaching rather than the what of the what how why the how. yes yeah yes yeah i like that Oh, we're actually run, we've actually run over. We're meant to finish like okay. six minutes ago. But I'm actually having loads of oh, fun. Wow. So, um, Jasmine, I would say there's a massive crossover between literacy and SEN. And you get literacy right yes. in the school. You'll probably get SEN yes. right. 
I'm telling um, you, whoever whoever um, uh, employs me to be their literacy person, that school's uh, progress rate is probably going to shoot. I'm not going to actually. It's going to improve. Oh, that's what I will say. I, I know who's employed you to be their school's literacy person, and that school's progress rate is already plus one. So imagine their progress rate is not going yeah. to shoot up. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It's going to become plus two. It's going to be like Michaela. Like we're going to rename your school Jasmine. Jasmina. Like Jasmine, yeah, is already in one of yeah. the Subject knowledge and literacy, I'm telling you, one, I have excellent subject knowledge, so I can teach them that, but then how to build that into the actual, just like being able to read and write and discuss, man, unstoppable. Just That's it. That's it. Okay, so I think let's leave it there so I can get some wine or possibly go and do, some, do a workout um, and take some picture of myself reading books or working out. Um, but that's a really photos. this is it yeah um people are listening to this no one listens to this let's be honest um they got to listen to it and go what the hell is it <laughs> i mean i just do it because it just amuses me um so anyway what is your what is your personal heresy that you said it on twitter it would uh probably get you cancelled who wants to go first My personal heresy that if I said it on Twitter, it would probably get me cancelled. Um, I don't know because I say so. Oh, many I have mine on Twitter, and Inspector Calls, mine... Calls has never taught anyone anything. Um, it certainly doesn't teach empathy. Let Jasmine go ahead. Um, this one's actually pretty bad. I think I'm going to say the majority. No, I can't say that because that's actually really bad. Just t text it, text it to us on, on, a, on a secret group. Secret group. I put in a secret group. <laughs> hmm? That's what I have to say. Running it into the WhatsApp. All right, let's have a look at the WhatsApp. What's Devin saying? I mean, I mean, another WhatsApp. That's. Uh, Is um, it a secret? That, that's Is it secret? really inappropriate. That's just between myself and two of my female colleagues. Um. Okay. It's a secret, secret WhatsApp. I, I actually agree with what you just said, Jasmine. And I, oh, God, oh, God, yeah, no. Um, yeah, absolutely. So my uh, my educational heresy that would get me cancelled, most teachers, not very smart, possibly quite thick. I like that. I mean... <laughs> Jasmine, what, what I said was, I said, completely I said teachers, teachers can be a hindrance to progress. Yes, I find that a lot. I'm like, you don't understand what you're doing. What you're saying is wrong. You're telling your kid who actually has the right idea that they're wrong. You're telling them the wrong things. Oh, good. Yeah, you that one's really interesting. I've seen teachers correct students who are perfectly correct yes. um, and just confuse them further. It happens a lot in literature where teachers' understandings of texts can be bonkers. Like, you know, the um, the one that I keep hearing um, about around London is uh, that Macbeth doesn't really love Lady Macbeth. What? Yeah, I know a few teachers yes. who teach their students that Lady Macbeth is just manipulative Why? and Macbeth is trying to get the power away from her and he doesn't, when she dies and he finds out, he doesn't actually care. He's excited because now he can have the power. Have they not read that speech? Have they not read says exactly tomorrow and tomorrow? 
Oh. Yeah, there would be time for such a word as this. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. Just saying, all this is the third time I've heard this speech in the last two days, just saying that. Yeah, yeah I, no, I, I, I'm very, I've just done Act 5 with my students. Um, I'm very up on this one. I think the best way, the best performance that speech I've seen has been Patrick Stewart's one. Uh, Patrick when... Stewart's one, um, originally an Almeida production, wasn't it? That uh, Rupert Gould as director. Um, yeah. It's then become the 2015 or 2016 film of it. Yes, and it was just, he, he veers between, I like the fact it was like kind of communist Russia, but he veers yeah. between being so angry at her that she's done this and being really depressed about it as well. It was really... A really powerful yeah, way of doing that. What's the point of being um, alive if you're not here with me? Yeah. That's it, it's sheer nihilism because he's done this partly for his partner and his greatness. Because it he loves is, her. You know, they, yeah, they, they elevate each other to the very top. Who am I, I without you? Nothing. It's Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and so his first thing is, well, actually, now I think about it, she would have died anyway, and so will I. And so he starts with this castle will laugh to scorn a siege. He starts off preparing to absolutely sit there um, and weather this from a point of real strategic advantage. And then he goes, well, might as well put my armour on, go out, be outnumbered, just going to die today. Yeah, how I'm gonna yeah. die, but no, I know, I know, because there's no point in another tomorrow. I know multiple people who have taught many cohorts of children that he doesn't love her and that he's glad that she's dead because he has the power for himself now. And oh, that, that, oh, that is, that, that, you know, wrong. that is just such a misunderstanding of one of the. I'm, I'm not going to say simpler Shakespeare plays because the truth about Macbeth is Macbeth endlessly complex rewards endless analysis has fathomless depth but one of the shakespeare plays that's quite easy to understand on that kind of level yeah okay so our general well, so daniel your heresy is that teacher a lot of teachers aren't very good at teaching uh jasmine's no, that they, they don't know their subject i think a lot of teachers can be good at teaching and know nothing about their subject which um, yep. uh, I've seen. You can cold uh, call, but you can't cold call your way to a grade nine. Ooh, absolutely. Boom. Yeah, I, that was a controversy. Did that? That got Stuart Locke to block me, didn't it? <laughs> I'm just like, that it was your tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all blocked by Stuart Locke, so what does it matter anyway? <laughs> uh, are you blocked now? I've been I'm blocked. Yes, yeah, it's that. Uh, I've had loads of people start following me in the last few days since I started like posting those pictures. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> you're, 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 you're man with the pin-up. Yeah, apparently so. Um, anyway, I, I blame I blame Tabitha. Um, what's my heresy? Oh, I don't know. I think a lot of this course around autism in schools is wrong. Um, but I think, I actually think that people who are really successful in schools make bad teachers. Ooh. As a kid who was really unsuccessful at school, 
I said this earlier. I said most teachers have never actually failed, so they don't understand what it's like to fail. And so it's it's important that you feel something. No, it's not expertise blindness, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I wasn't bad in school. Like I got, you know, I got the set of GCSEs. Um, My A-levels weren't bad. I got into a Russell group. Less about that, the better. I um I got chucked out top set in English. Um, Ooh, how did you do that? Uh, I th- oh, Tom Rogers. I think he's going to tell us to get off. Oh, is he? Okay, fine. We better get I don't off. Know if Sorry. Here now. Yeah, no, Sorry. no, this is no. Oh, is it no? Oh, oh never mind. No. Hi, Tom. Sorry, we've gone off. We've completely gone off on like a massive tangent. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, about... we're fifteen minutes over now, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We should have got off, but we're having too much fun discussing stuff. Um, maybe this will be the most downloaded thing next month. I've got just I like getting, proper like, bands. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got one of those things where no one appreciates thing. it at the time, but in future, you know, and the sort it will of become sales <laughs> figures. In yeah, we're going to need the yellow wallpaper. In future, it will be viewed as a teacher talk radio masterpiece. No, what it's going to be is that they're going to have an MPQ SL in which they just play this. <laughs> Be it. <laughs> Not the entirety of it, and then at the end they go right. So most of you are probably rubbish. Hands up if you are good t- good at school. You're not good teachers. So go just I leave am, the room yeah. now. I, I, I'm I'm not going to because I, I think I'm a decent enough teacher. You know our metrics are fine. Um, they're better than everyone else's. Uh, so I'm not going to um, necessarily agree with you on that heresy. But I do think there is an element to which, um, and I know I have it myself, teachers can have massive expertise blindness on success as those for whom success came very easily. Yes. Yeah. The thing is, like, it came easily because I worked so hard. So it wasn't like I just I just got, you know, my A's because I just did nothing. Like, I actually did work really I hard. Was I, also, I wasn't. I, I, I was... I, I gave up way too much for a young person for what I did. But, um, so, like, I, I have both. I worked really hard and I did well. Um, so I know, and when I, even when I did work hard, there was one time where I didn't do well. And so I know what it's like to fail and I, I keep that in. Um, I use that. I wrote a blog about that back in the day. Yeah, well, I'll be, I might go and read it. Um, oh, my other heresy. I had another heresy there. Oh, I've completely forgotten it now. Damn it. Oh, well, fine. I think it's probably a good place to like leave things. Um, yes. So we're like 60 minutes over. Oh, we- Um, uh, One last heresy to leave you with. If it is the GCSE that is killing a take-up of your subject at A-level, you are not good enough at teaching that GCSE. Oh! Knife. Absolute knife for the heart of, like, a stake for the heart of some teachers. Um, Absolutely. English language can be a completely crap GCSE. I'm not denying that at all. It should not impact your ability to get students in your A-level courses. Oh, you know what? That is um, absolute heresy right there. Yeah, I think that's we need to leave on that one. That's yeah, that's, that's a, absolute. Right, drop the mic there. Um, we will be back in the new year, I presume, unless we get like, unless they edit this down to like literally us going, hi, bye. <laughs> Hi, hello, I have cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much it. Thank you, you two. You've been wonderful. Leave us your cheese. I'm going to go and uh, make an omelette. 
Um, and probably lift some weights or something like that. I don't know. My kids are all out. They're all like uh, gone to the hall for Cornwall, which is our nearest large theatre, which is like 60 miles away. But I am living. Jeez. Yeah, I know. I am living in like literally. I'm um, like, I can see the lizard, which is the most southerly point of, of England from my house. So there we go. On that note, it's been and, fun. Uh, and you, your house exists in black and white, constantly moody skies, and is flooded periodically by great surging tides. Yeah, and occasionally a guy runs past on a horse because, like, you know, that pole dark guy, he just yeah. rides past on the horse every single time. It's like, no matter, no matter what direction he goes in, he's got to ride a horse past the sea. Yeah, there, 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 there are five children who aren't actually five children. They're four children and a dog um, who are constantly catching smugglers in your lighthouses. Yes, that's true as well. Uh, and they say amazing things like, golly gosh, and you're full of spunk. Hmm. Um, golly gosh. Absolutely. They, they, yeah. they live off a, ra- a diet of radishes and beetroots, um, and one of them is non-gender conforming, and everyone is really misogynistic about this. Yes, totally. Um, my kids are actually really like Enid Blyton. So. Kids really do. Um, yes. And I'm relaxed about that. I mean, obviously, there's some stuff um, uh, in Enid Blyton, that, um, including in the Famous Five, um, that is racist. Yes. But and- the, yeah, the, the total class snobbery but, and the losing and- of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the terrible prose style, they're so badly written, I think doesn't get in the way of kids enjoying and engaging with like the Potter. story of Daring Do. Yeah, like Harry Potter, in fact. Yeah. Is that heresy? I can't tell any more of heresy anymore. Probably. Um, well, I, I think we're all allowed to slam J.K. Rowling now. Um, yeah, racism in Harry Potter. Interesting one, that. That's for another show. I always think the, really show. The, the fascinating thing about Harry Potter is that it has gender-neutral changing rooms and bathrooms. Does it? Yes. No, so the girls' toilets were Molly Martell. That's a girl's. That's a girls' toilet. That is a girls' toilet, um, which of course two boys spend a lot of their time in, which I believe is the greatest of all fears. Um, <laughs> uh, but the pre- yeah, but the prefect's toilet is gender-neutral. Um, and the Quidditch changing rooms are gender neutral. Not only are they gender neutral, they also have showers in. So there's a reference fairly early on that Wood, um, in the second novel, um, that Wood is attempting to drown himself in the showers, which is said by Angelina um, Johnson, who, of course, was in the changing rooms with Wood. Um, and, and indeed, there are interactions towards the end of the series um, between Ginny and Harry in the Quidditch changing rooms. They do have gender-neutral changing rooms. Um, it's very Starship Troopers, actually, in terms of gender-neutral changing rooms with communal showers. That was a great movie. Yeah. Starship Troopers. Yeah. So, on that bombshell, that absolute heresy, we are now, like, 20 minutes over. The lawyers yes. are probably panicking somewhere. It has been fun. Um, I'm going to start a Twitter fight over well, whether Warm Strict leads to um, county lines or not. On that note, I will join you. Thank you so much. I'll see you on Twitter. Absolutely. We've got a couple of hours. Well, at least, yeah. You've been listening to Teachers Radio. Bye. Live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time. 
on Teachers Talk Radio. You still there, Daniel? As off? Shall I end it before the beat? 